could understand why he scared us. So at first, I think we stood a little bit aloof and we watched this person. Ed is uh, tall, as you can see, and he has the marks of a very uh, strong character and a very strong person. And in his, uh, the fear that we had of him, when he first came to the grad school, you could tell that he was still a young Christian. And uh, there was a look in his eyes that made us want to sit on the other side of chapel <laughs> from him. <laughs> but one of the blessings that we saw as we witnessed this life was a tremendous change that God wrought during the years that he was at the graduate school. We saw a new Christian soften and one who radiantly magnified the Lord Jesus Christ. Ed distinguished himself as he gained a master's in communication and was one of the outstanding students in the graduate school. We have been very fortunate to have him join the college this year as the director of public information. And we're very thankful to God for bringing his wife Vicki and their daughter Charlotte to our community they have made already a valuable contribution. And Ed, we thank you this morning for sharing your testimony with us. God bless you. Well, I'm not so nervous as I was a little while ago. Just, I just feel like a grad student again. And that's not so bad. I'm not that tall. I'm just barely six foot, but for some reason, I guess maybe because I came from New York, I don't know. People call me Big Ed up there, and I, I don't know why, but I, I'll accept it. When Calvin asked me to talk about how Jesus Christ could manage to make a person like me believe in him, I was more than glad to say yes. I asked him, when do you want me to do it, Calvin, and where do you want me to do it? When and where? He said, Sunday, right here. I said, uh, does that have to be Sunday? How about, you know, some Wednesday night group or something like that, that's small. He said, no, I want, you, I want you to be on the radio, Ed. Well, I was thrilled. Eventually, this, what I'm saying here is getting on the radio for those who don't know it. I was thrilled to get a chance to, uh, to be on the radio. And it's not because I'm so egotistical that I want to hear myself on the radio, television, all over the place. But it's, it's because I want to have a chance, it's a chance to talk to people who are in the same shape right now that I was in a few years ago. I know what it's like to be on the other end of the radio, to be hearing a Christian person trying to say the words of Jesus Christ, trying to convince people that they're sinners and that they're lost. But there'll be some people who's, who are going to listen to Calvin on the radio, maybe some people here right now. Calvin's a very opinionated preacher, and he gives it to you. And uh, they're going to say, hey, that guy's crazy. And uh, they may even say, I'm crazy. And the, but there'll be others who are listening who desperately, desperately want to believe and uh, want to follow Jesus, but just won't. They're afraid. They're afraid that the whole Christian, this whole Christian thing is a fake and that this whole fellowship, this whole idea of loving one another, it's, it's a hoax, it's a phony. They're afraid to trust Jesus Christ. They're afraid because they really don't believe that he's out there. I know I didn't. That's why I'm so happy to have this chance, the chance to testify to the fact that there really is a Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ really can be trusted, that there really is a Son of God. 
that there really is a Savior and that we really need Him. And that you can, you can really trust Him. I met Jesus Christ about five years ago through a man on a radio station. Now, I was a professional gambler during those days. And I call myself professional because I, I took bets instead of, instead of making bets. I guess I was, I was the bookmaker for those who know the, the terminology. And I figured that as long as I'm going to gamble, I might as well be on the right side of the table. I might as well have the odds in my favor. <laughs> and students and bookmakers have something in common. They do homework. And one night, I was doing my homework, and my homework consisted of listening to scores, not bad homework. And I was, I think it was the basketball season, actually. Can't quite remember now. But I was listening to some scores, and I was having a very good night. I was up a couple of thousand dollars. <laughs> and I was, I was pretty happy. And I didn't need any more scores. And it was, I knew where every sports station on, on, on different radio stations were. were. At 10.42, I'd listen to WCBS New York, and I'd get the sports. At 10.45, I'd listen to WINS, I'd get the sports. At 10.52, I'd listen somewhere else. So I knew exactly what was happening. I had all the scores I needed, and, uh, except the West Coast scores. And they didn't start yet. So I said, all right, just sit back, relax, pour yourself a drink, have a good time. So I poured myself a drink, sat back, and thought I was going to relax. And I started fooling with the radio station, because I didn't want to hear any more sports for a while. And I thought that... Um, I listened to some good rock or whatever, and instead I wound up listening, I just zip, 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 and all of a sudden I kind of held the pause for a second, and there was this nut. Uh, he was crazy on the radio station. I turned into a Christian radio station, didn't even know it was there, and this guy was ranting and raving as far as I was concerned at the time about something or other, and I said, what is this guy ranting and raving about? And I listened, and he was talking about the word of God says, and this, 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 this and the other thing. I said, oh, wow. And, so they, I listened for a while, and I wound up that it was a question and answer show. And somebody would call in, and they'd say, they'd say, could you tell me, now you, could you tell me what the Bible says that I should do about such and such a problem? And, every, and this guy would say what he believed the Bible said about such and such a problem. And everything that this guy said, I disagreed with. He said, no, I don't know, somebody called about taxes or something. He said, no, you've got to pay your taxes. You've got to report all your money. I said, well, you crazy? The people are ripping me off already. I can't report all my taxes. I said, this is crazy. Next thing he'd say, he said, he said somebody else. You know, I've got a drinking problem. I'm drunk all the time, and it's the only thing I've got. And he said, well, you know, the Bible says, the Lord says, now you can't go getting drunk. I said, come on, it's the only thing the guy has. <laughs> and then the kicker that, that night was this woman called, and she said, the good down-to-earth problems, real stuff. And this, this woman said that uh, I'm married to, uh, I'm married, but I'm three months pregnant by another man. What am I going to do? I said, no, I know what you're going to do. You're going to have an abortion. That's what you're going to do. And all of a sudden, he's the first thing out of the guy's mouth. Well, don't have an abortion. I said, come on. And I was mad because the, the people were getting off the phone saying, thank you. Thank you for helping me. And I couldn't believe this. I said, this guy is affecting people's lives. People are listening to this guy. So I heard the telephone number and I tried to get through. Of course, with Christian radio stations, it's tough to get through sometimes. And I couldn't get through. And I was hopping mad, boy. My peace and tranquility was disturbed. And so all that night, I was just pacing. I didn't care about my sports scores. I wound up looking at the New York Times in the late edition the next day. And I was just saying, I can't believe this guy is affecting people's lives this way. Well, eventually, I got through. And I wound up having a six-month conversation with this fellow. And I tell him... I. 
I told him this, and I told him that, and he told me this, and he told me that, and he's talking about the Word of God. And I said, wait a minute, don't tell me about the Word of God. I said, you don't know anything about the Word of God. You don't know about what God wants. I know as much about what God wants as you do. And he says, he starts, starts telling about the Bible, and he starts telling about, about the inspired Word of God, and I could not believe it. And I told him that he was giving me a circular argument. I said, how do you know that the Bible is the Word of God? He says, because the Bible says is the word of God. I said, you're crazy. I said, you're crazy. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it got to the point where I wanted to believe him. I, this, this guy had, he, he just, he had it together. He was solid. He, he, it was things I haven't heard since I was six or seven or eight years old. It was a life where there was black and there was white. There was, there was goodness. There was there were things that I just did not have and did not believe that were in the world anymore. And now there were, at least he, at least one person was practicing it. And it seemed that the people calling in, other people were practicing it. I said, oh, if only I could believe this. And so I, I, my, my tone changed a little bit. He got to know my voice. And I, I think a lot, a lot of people in New York City and New Jersey got to know my voice. And I started changing my tune a little bit. I said, you know, I'd like to believe this. Help me believe this. I said, I'd do what you say if I can only believe you. And he said, he said, well, you go. He said, why don't you go to bed tonight and, and just kind of think about going to hell, he said, and think about what it's going to be like spending eternity in hell. I said, all right. <laughs> so I went to bed that night, and I laid back with my hands behind my head, and I thought about hell, and I tried to scare myself. I tried to think about the flames, and I tried to think about little devils, and I tried to think about everything. But I couldn't scare myself. And I called the next day, and I said, I'm just not scared. I said, it doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> so anyway, he just kept pounding away at me. And not just about hell, but about the love of God. And I think the, the logic of my mind, my deluded mind, that I thought I had all the answers were so simple, or at least there was big gray areas where nothing was simple. And the logic of my mind held out a lot longer than my heart. Because God was speaking to my heart, and I was being filled with a love for God. And I didn't know what to do about it. I really didn't know what to do about it. I was becoming a schizophrenic. I wound up, I was, I was, I, was I, I guess, stealing, I guess is the right word, during the day because I was collecting money from losers lots of times and not paying the winners. And that's stealing. And yet I'd come home that night and I'd pray, saying, God, now just hang on. Just hang on now. I said, now, I, I, if I can believe in you and believe in all this stuff, I'm going to come around, but just give me time. Well, my biggest problem, I guess, was that I could not understand why people couldn't go get drunk. I said, all right, I believe in you, God. All right, I believe that Jesus came and my sins are forgiven, but uh, why can't I get drunk? Why can't I go, and why can't we all go and sleep around? Why can't we? All right, I don't want to mess up with someone's marriage, but why can't I go with somebody single? Why can't we all go? And I couldn't, to the, to the point where I finally accepted Christ, I could not understand it. It just didn't make any sense to me, but so, it became more important to me. It became more important to know God and to get the answers. And before that, it was far more important to get the answers before I got to know God. Because I'm not going to trust this God until I get the answers. But it wound up that something inside of me, I was just changed. Just changed. So I finally told God through tears and crying and thinking I was going to get killed because I had some connections I shouldn't have had. 
and it was hard, hard to get out of the business, if you can understand what I mean. And uh, I told God, okay, 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 I trust you. Now, it was very hard for me to say. I said, okay, take my life. Do what you want with my life. Now, that was very hard for me to say because I figured that God would take me seriously. And at least I was, I was smart enough to realize that I better not say it if I didn't mean it because this God may take me serious, seriously. Well, I want to tell, tell you people in the, in the pews, and particularly you people out there on the radio who will be listening, that it's changed my life totally. After I accepted God, it was like blinders, honestly. Blinders fell off my eyes. I, I kind of looked back at where I was. Not, not trying to get any more answers, I guess, just trying to, to love God and trying to... I, I bought a Bible and started reading on page one. And whenever I looked at something, it was different. It was as if something was stripped away. The, the delusion, delusion, the lies were stripped away. I looked, and it's like as if I looked over my shoulder and I looked at the marriage bed. I don't know how I looked at the marriage bed, but I looked at the marriage bed and I saw the beauty and I saw the holiness of the marriage bed. Now, just a couple of months before, I couldn't understand how, why couldn't I sleep around? All of a sudden, I was just shocked. How could I even think? How could I think of violating that marriage bed? And one thing after another changed for me. And what I want to say is that, that through miraculous interventions of God, how you, say, you say, well, if I trust God, how's my life going to change? I'm stuck here, I'm doing this, I've got this, I've got a husband, I've got kids, I've got whatever. I've got problems. Well, I was a bookmaker. Suddenly, I, before I knew it, I was taken out of New York City. And I was in Illinois, meeting people like Estelle, helping me. I was in a Christian graduate school. I didn't even know there's such a thing as a Christian school. I was in a Christian graduate school, and I was learning about God. And I was learning how to communicate God's message to people. I wound up being a probation officer, of all things, for two and a half years. I wound up having the privilege of working with Christian organizations with, 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 to get the word out, to help them, me of all people, the, the, the fellow from New York, who was just the, the pits. I got to help people, to help these organizations spread the word. And now, of all things, here I am in this foreign country, North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> trying, to get, trying to get over the cultural shock. <laughs> and I'm working for a Christian college. What a privilege. I'm the director of public information for a Christian college, for, a, for an institution, and this isn't a plug for this, this Montreal Anderson College, but it just happens, this is where I am. And this, this, for an institution that is trying to teach and trying to pass on for generations God's word. And I have been blessed by taking out of the pit hole up there and doing what I was doing and, and being able to do what I'm doing now. So to you, to you people in the church here now who don't know Jesus, who don't know what he can do for you, to you on the radio in particular, who are listening, and you know, I, the only fellowship that I had, I, I had a radio station and a Bible for about eight months. That's all I had. And you got to get you, you, well, first of all, you've got to trust Jesus. And you've got to make that step. As hard as it is, you've got to say, Jesus, I trust you. 
God, I trust you. God, take my life and do something with it. And you will be amazed in your wildest imaginations. I would never believe I'd be in a pulpit in a, quote, Protestant, unquote, church in my life. <laughs> You'd be amazed what can happen. He'll change your life. Give your life to God. Find a Christian after you give your life to God and tell him or tell her about it. And God will work through you and God will work through that Christian. And brothers and sisters, you can trust God. God bless you. I've been for the last um, number of weeks studying the discipleship parables of Jesus. We have studied uh, in these parables how repentance is important, how a person's polite language will not substitute for obedience in the story of the two brothers who were told to work in the field and uh, one said politely that he would go and work and did not and the other one rebelled and later repented and went and did that work. Uh, we have also seen how that this strange Lord whom we serve, strange in comparison to the way in which the world thinks, is always out in the marketplace looking for people at 6 o'clock in the morning and at 9 o'clock in the morning and at 12 o'clock and at 3 in the afternoon and that even at the 11th hour, even at 5 o'clock, an hour before quitting time, uh, he will welcome those who will go into his vineyard and work. And that there is no such thing as one twelfth part of the love of God. That he does not deal with us after strict uh, economic measures, uh, but he deals with us after grace. Uh, we saw in the parable of the two men who went up to the temple to pray, uh, that one who was supposed to be a paragon of virtue and righteousness, who only went to parade his own good uh, uh, what he thought was his good qualities in the presence of God and had no use for a person who stood afar off, very much like Ed Germain, uh, who uh, for some reason felt a need in his heart to go up to the temple to pray. And yet God heard that man's prayers because in his heart he sensed a need and he yielded himself to the mercy and to the love of God. And Jesus said he went down to his house justified rather than the uh, Pharisee who did not feel that he had any need of righteousness. And then last Sunday we saw probably the most, one of the most complex and difficult of all of Jesus' parables, uh, the parable of the tares sown in among the wheat. That is, the good word of God is sown, that there is the sinister figure of Satan who comes afterwards sowing tares. And the astonishment at the landowner's servants who come to the landowner, the farmer, and they say to him, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then why is it that we see these tares are there? And they are startled uh, by evil. And uh, they say to him, do you want us to go and pull up these tares? And he says, no. No, let them both grow together until the harvest time. Now, harvest time always speaks of judgment. Uh, he is telling us that there will be false Christians. Satan is a great imitator. Uh, Satan cannot uproot the true Christian, and so he will sow false Christians. Uh, he will even sow a false gospel. This is why the whole uh, letter to the Galatians was written. Uh, he will sow a false church. You can read about that in the book of uh, Revelation. 
uh, he will even sow a false Christ. And so in the letter to the Thessalonians, we are told about Antichrist. So we in this world are going to be faced with evil and we get no privileged growing pr uh, conditions. Uh, I mean by that that there will always be injustice, there will always be heartache and turmoil uh, that will exist. Down through the ages since the Lord Jesus brought his gospel into the world, many of these things have come, and they still exist to this day. But he is saying that ultimately harvest will come and uh, he will win. And now we come to that marvelous two little parables which indicate something of the extent of his kingdom. Uh, remember, Jesus has rejected the request of the disciples for special growing conditions. He said, let the weeds grow together. Uh, he gives them now a parable, I believe, of hope when he speaks about the parable uh, of the mustard seed. The mustard seed is a tiny, tiny little seed. So tiny, and remember, Jesus is not lecturing to a class in horticulture or botany. And so you don't have to press all these things so extreme. He's talking to a group of people in a semi-arid region. I come from uh, a part of Texas. Uh, after you cross the 98th meridian and head out toward Wichita Falls and Amarillo, you read, uh, you are in what the Department of Agriculture tactfully calls a semi-arid region. <laughs> that means that the, you are not going to find great huge trees growing. And so when people come through and they call a mesquite bush, a mesquite bush, those in West Texas call them mesquite trees. Uh, they get about 10 or 12 feet tall. And a mustard tree, uh, or mustard bush, if you please, it's strictly speaking in the interpret, uh, strictly interpreted here, the language is a herb, but it can get to be 12 feet tall. And it was a common parable that the seed was so tiny that you could barely see it with the eye, like a speck. And yet it could grow so big that birds would come and roost in its branches. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, because you have heard this complex uh, tale of woe, which I've had to tell you about the sinister evil one who comes and sows his tares, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged, because I will work my purposes out and my purposes will be good. Now, we see false Christians in the world today. I have a, a letter that came from a young man at Cambridge. I went to tea for all the new theologians yesterday, and most of the divinity faculty was there. Uh, this Professor Cupid was present who has just published a book entitled Taking Leave of God, in which he states his reasons for becoming an atheist. He now calls himself a Christian Buddhist, who doesn't believe in God, just in the Christian way of living, and yet he remains an ordained priest in the Church of England. You see this false gospel, false Christians? How can that be? Well, Jesus says, don't be alarmed by this. You're going to see these things. These things will exist. But he's saying, my little kingdom, which looks so tiny, and so frail will spread. Now stop and think about what he might have had in his mind's eye. Stop and think about a man by the name of Abraham in the Old Testament who goes to a place called Ur of the Chaldees. 
and how God will make out of that man Abraham a race of people that today have an honored place in the world and to whom God still has purposes that are being worked out in all of the hatred and viciousness uh, that people have been able to raise up over the years have not been able to exterminate them and how we have been blessed through Abraham. Stop and think for a moment about a tiny little baby of a slave, a baby that would be destined to be slaughtered, is taken and put into a little, a, a little tiny boat made out of, uh, of rushes. And how a slave goes out into the river and pushes this little basket out into the water and lets it float down. And who rides in that little basket? A little baby named Moses. A little baby that will bring to the world by the power of God the greatest law that the world has ever seen until Jesus Christ himself comes. That little speck. You wouldn't think it would have one chance on earth. And it wouldn't. But God is working his purposes out. And then you see others. You see how those slaves are delivered out of Egypt. How there will come a time when a Hebrew household will take a little lamb and sprinkle blood on the doorpost and the lintel of the home and that in itself will be the forerunner of our great Passover as Christians, the Lord's Supper, bespeaking the blood of the covenant that God makes with us through his Son and the atonement he has made for us on the cross. What a tiny little mustard seed that is and yet how it spreads all over the world today. How those who went to the moon took with them the Lord's Supper. How I'll never forget the first time that I saw on television, Neil Armstrong had focused the camera from the spacecraft back on the planet Earth. And there for the first time you could see Earth spinning out there in space. And yet God Almighty wants us to keep things in perspective. That he is the God of the universe. And he cares about this little planet Earth. And he cares about the people that are in it. And he brings his son into this world. Jesus would think about himself as this tiny little mustard seed. Who in the world would have thought that Mary and Joseph, going up out of their village of Nazareth, unto the city of David in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod the king, how would they ever have thought that God Almighty is going to be born in a stable and that little baby, no bigger than a tiny mustard seed, that baby will one day be the one who causes us to meet here this day and to sing his praises, to know the liberating power of his life and that he is still at work in the world today. And look at his disciples. Those fishermen, Peter and James and Andrew and John. What a despised and rejected little group of people. And yet how God will use them. How God will use them. Annas and Caiaphas, when they nailed him to the cross, the Lord Jesus, couldn't dust their hands and say, we're rid of him forever. Because 
God's mustard seed will grow and people from all over the world will come and lodge in the branches of that tree. The great church of the Lord Jesus Christ universal. How he works and he works his purposes out and he wants us to know that. It's a living, powerful thing which he is doing. He is showing us the blessing of, of small things and how powerful they are. When I was studying the, these series of parables, the most helpful commentator that I've read has been Earl uh, uh, Campbell out in, uh, uh, Earl Palmer out in California, who's on the board of trust at Princeton Seminary in a great, uh, he taught at Regent College the year that uh, I went out there, he had taught on the Gospel of John. Uh, Earl Palmer said that he used to be the pastor of the uh, Protestant church there in in the city of Manila, the American church, and that uh, next door to his church in the tropics, of course, like the Philippines are, it rains terribly and there was a lot of mud. And so finally they'd gotten enough money to pave the parking lot, and he said it was a great blessing that they could pave the parking lot because always he was coming into the church with mud on his feet, and he thought, boy, it'll be so good that the people can come into the church and it won't be muddy anymore. And he said that he watched with great... Uh, interest as the contractors came and how they burred out the ground and how they put their five inches of gravel down and how they rolled it with steamrollers and then they put their macadam surface and he thought boy all of this ingenuity is wonderful no more mud anymore and then he said that one time sometimes later he was walking into the church and he saw a little bubble form on the parking lot and he thought well this is volcanic country maybe a volcano is going to be coming and then he said that the next day when he came back, he saw the little bubble in this macadam surface had cracked four ways and a little mushroom had come up through the surface. <laughs> of all of this modern scientific technology with its bulldozers and with its backhoes and with its, con with its uh, uh, gravel and all of the macadam stuff that they'd put down, and yet what happened? little mushroom. He said he picked it up and with his hand he crushed it. So small. Probably let out a thousand spores to cause more. But, uh, but you see, the difference is that there's life there. And there's life in the seed which is the Word of God. There is life in the Savior. And His kingdom spreads to the ends of the earth. And it works quietly. But it's at work. It's working quietly, and it's working in a marvelous way. And this tells us something that I hope each one of us in Montreat, and this is one good thing about our community, that uh, I, I'm so touched by the fact that so many people in our community care about one another and show Christian love when heartache and tragedy appears. If we could only think about the words that our little children hear, if we could only think about the glances that come from their eyes, if we could only think about the words that we teach them, if we could only think of the precious opportunity that's ours to help them to know and to love the Lord Jesus. The other day, Chris Lance brought the little morning school into the church office, and I came out and sat down with the children in the outside office there to visit with them. They're so cute. And uh, they all wanted to show me different things that they had. Well, if they learn right away 
that those who love the Lord Jesus and those who are part of his church care about them, uh, then we can see wonderful things happen through these precious little lives. One of the great other commentators that I read upon this parable was Helmut Thielicke, the famous preacher in Hamburg, Germany. And he said when he studied the parable of the mustard seed, he was studying it when Hitler was high in the saddle in Germany and his death machine ruled everything ruthlessly. And he said, the day that we studied this parable, I looked up at the two old ladies in our church and the organists whose hands were palsied. And I thought, is this the kingdom of God? Two old ladies and an organist who can't play the organ because his hands are diseased. And then he was understanding that God's purposes will work. Hitler and his kind will go. And God's purposes will be accomplished and harvest will come. And he wants us to know this. The measure of leaven which the woman hid in the meal teaches us the same story. If you were a boy and you grew up in a home where they baked bread and you saw we have Fleischmann's yeast that we can use, but if you have sourdough bread, it used to be in the, in the eastern countries, or if you know some Greek families who pass their starter along, that's a gift that they give to a new bride, is a little starter so that they can have fresh bread. And they start it with that bread. That's what leaven is. And a little tiny bit of leaven hidden in several big measures of meal is going to permeate the whole thing. And I used to watch my mother when she would mix bread and then put that cloth thing over the top of it and then the next morning it would all be swelled out. Little cells had been working out all night long. And so the Lord is working his purposes out. And he wants us to know that. And what he does want us to know is that we're not to lose faith in the gospel because it may seem small. You remember some weeks ago when we studied a severe mercy, when we talked about it uh, here in church, that book by uh, Van Auken. He said that the thing that kept him from belief for a long time was just the smallness, the smallness of the gospel. And then when C.S. Lewis, through his conversations and letters with him, had convinced him that only God could pull this thing off. And this is uh, the little book that I want to just read a little section from the screw tape letters that came out in 1942. Wormwood is the senior devil, and he writes to a, a younger devil, uh, he, he, Screwtape is the senior devil, and he writes to Wormwood, who is one of his junior devils. The real trouble about the set your patient is living in, the patient is one who has just joined the church and become a Christian, is living, the real trouble about the set your patient is living in is that it is merely, now catch that word merely, merely Christian. They all have individual interests, of course, but the, but the bond remains mere Christians. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind that I call Christianity and. You know, Christianity and crisis. Christianity and the new psychology. Christianity and the new order. Christianity and faith healing. Christianity and psychical research or Christianity and politics, or and women's liberation, or and social uh, issues. Now, the danger is this. 
that we're liable to take the and part and make that the, the first thing. And when that substitutes Christ, then's when the trouble comes in. The man who wants Christianity and Buddhism, Christianity and atheism at Cambridge, it won't work. If they must be Christians at all, says the devil, let them at least be Christians with a difference, a substitute for the faith itself, some fashion with a Christian coloring, work on the horror of the same old thing. Now, what's he talking about there? The horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions we've produced in the human heart, an endless source of heresies in religion, folly in counsel, infidelity in marriage, inconstancy in friendship. What causes marriages to break up? The same old thing. You see, it's that new twist that's supposed to be added. The human, li human lives in time experience reality successively. To experience much of it, therefore, they must experience many different things. In other words, they must experience change. And since they need change, the enemy, he's talking about God, uh, has made a change pleasurable to them, just as he has made eating pleasurable. But since he does not wish them to make change any more than eating an end in itself, he has balanced the love of change in them by a love of permanence. Now, the love of permanence is what I wanted to, to say here. His kingdom is permanent. We talk, our politicians, and you'll hear them talking about it, talk about permanent world peace, permanently high economy. We do not have it within us to produce that which is permanent. God can convey that which is permanent. And he does it through this wonderful seed of mustard seed, through this wonderful leaven that goes through the whole lump and which reaches out to all of us to bring us to him. Let us pray. Our Father, the devil would like nothing better than to discourage us, to think us that you would turn away from such little faith as we may have. But yet... Thou hast taught us through these stories which we have seen this morning that if we have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can do great and mighty things in our lives. So help us to give as much of ourselves as we know how to give to as much of Jesus Christ as we understand and know that you will take us from that point and that you will cause us to grow and that you will work your own purposes out and that you are at work in this world today. Help us, help us to know the hope which we have in him. We thank you, Lord, for how good you are. A proud man would have died had not a lowly God found him. And Lord, we thank you that you found us and that you became small. And we thank you for the humiliation of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And we thank you for the triumph of life over death and his victory on the third day. We thank you that that victory is for us. And Lord, we also thank you that our faith need only be faith as a grain of mustard seed, starting small and then growing. We thank you that our faith does grow and that the whole Christian life is a life of growing. Lord, there may be some here right now this morning who need to take that first step Help that brother or sister to take that step now with Jesus Christ. 
Bless those, O oh Father, who feel that life has caved in and help them to know that you are the God of all hope and that you can bring great things even out of the smallest faith in thee. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with us all now and forever.